Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, August 5th. As promised, it's part two of our two Mini Break Friday here at Cracked Rackets as I try to make sense of another chaotic week of action on the ATP and WTA tours. Now, if you're looking for an update on our two men's events happening in D.C. and Los Cabos. Tune in to part one of this episode. I broke down each of those events, talked about the stars of the week in D.C. It's unseeded players like Yoshihito Nishioka, Mikhail Emer, and J.J. Wolf making a move to kick off their hardcourt summers. Of course, in Los Cabos, we have our first ATP tournament of the year where the top four seeds each advanced to the semifinals in singles again. If you you're looking for an update on those two ATP events, tune into part one of this two mini break Friday. Of course, on this episode, I want to do the same for the WTA tour. And boy, has the action been exciting. In particular, San Jose has delivered the goods. And of course, given how many of the top players in the world were competing in that San Jose event, I believe we had 11 of the top 20, maybe it was nine of the top 20 competing in San Jose this week. We knew it promised to be a fun event, but certainly the action on court has delivered. And whether you just want to focus on yesterday's matches, Amanda Nisimova's three-set victory over Karolina Pliskova, Arena Sabalenka, 20 plus double faults. Ultimately, though, a three-set win for her over Caroline Dullahide, Paula Bedosa's comeback. You also had Coco Goff, of course, with an impressive straight-set victory over Naomi Osaka. So many different fun results, so many different players I want to talk about on today's show. A couple I didn't mention, Daria Kasatkina, Veronika Kudermetova. They have both solidified themselves, in my opinion, as top 10 players on the season. Now, that does not mean I think they're going to be perennial top 10 players players moving forward, but you look at the results, hard to deny it, and each player finding themselves now in the semifinals here in San Jose, earning wins here on Friday. I want to talk about what has allowed each player to have success this season. Two players who do not win matches in similar fashions. Nevertheless, each of these Russians finding themselves having perhaps their best careers of their season here in 2022. I'll continue to make the case, although I will note, I feel like we've talked a lot about Kudermatova, Kasatkina throughout the course of this year. How can we not as they continue to put forward these sorts of results year in, year out, year in, year out, week in, week out, excuse me. The point being lots to talk about from the WTA action in San Jose, but that is just one of three events we have on the WTA calendar this week. Of course, the City Open resuming the women's event this season. Things have gotten funky over in D.C. And of course, horrific weather. Throughout the course of the week, you either have 90-plus degree heat, sweltering humidity that all of these players have to deal with, or you have these tremendous thunderstorms suspending play and causing chaotic schedules for all of these players. As such, the results on court 
have been chaotic. And while there are plenty of unseeded players who have thrived in D.C. on the women's side as well, one of the players who's found themselves making sense out of the chaos is Victoria Azarenka. And of course, I don't need to tell, I believe, the case for why Azarenka can be successful on court, for God's sake. She's a former world number one, a multi-time Grand Slam champion when was competing for a Grand Slam title as recently as the 2020 U.S. Open. But it's been a up and down's the wrong sort of year, uh, wrong sort of description, excuse me, to describe Victoria Azarenka's season. She's been really good when she's been healthy. That's really the case. And this week, she's healthy in D.C., reminding all of us why she is a multi-time Grand Slam champion. In case you've forgotten, I will explain why on today's show. And then we can look at the rest of the storylines we checked in on early in the week. Emma Raducanu into a much-needed quarterfinal, still under 500 on the year, but playing much better tennis this week in D.C. You've got players like Samson Nova, Daria Seville, Rebecca Marino, all finding success as well. Again, plenty to discuss from D.C. And then we've got a 125K event, which to some will count, to others you'll consider it the WTA equivalent of a challenger. But I do just want to check in on what has been a funky week in Romania. Maya Chavalinska, I butchered that pronunciation. I apologize, Damian Kust, but the young Polish player, I'm just in. On her future moving forward reminds me a lot of Marketa Von Trusova. If you haven't seen the lefty play, you'll have the opportunity to this weekend as she's made the semifinal. And we can get into some of her numbers from the course of this season as well. But again, so much tennis. We had to make it a two-part mini break Friday. Of course, a massive thank you to our friends at Tennis Point who support us in these sorts of endeavors, who, as always, understand the necessity of a daily show to offer fans the sort of information they're looking for day in, day out about the professional tennis world. Of course, Tennis Point also understands the necessity of providing the best equipment at the best prices for tennis players everywhere. If you want to play your best on court, it's true. You look good, you feel good, you're going to play good if you have the right racket in your hand, if it's strung at the correct tension, all of your skills are just going to be amplified. And our friends at Tennis Point can help you find exactly what you're looking for. You name the brand, Babolat, Wilson. I know a lot of people are on the Yonix racket nowadays. They've got that, so much more, dare I say, I'll whisper it because I know some tennis fans get mad if you say it out loud, but if you like pickleball, they've also got you covered in the pickleball department as well. They offer everything to tennis fans, tennis players everywhere, and maybe it's a late summer gift, maybe there's a birthday coming up, or maybe you just want to treat yourself. You can do so by going to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis dash point symbol not the spelling tennis dash point.com the promo code is cr15 with that said let's get into it our wta action happening this week we have to start in san jose and the player i would like to start with i'm not sure she's been the best player on the court this week but daria kasakina is more likely than not in my opinion at this point to end up in the World Tour Finals. You look for Kasakina, the 25-year-old, currently fifth 
in the WTA points race. Fifth in the WTA points race as we make the turn here towards the North American hardcourt summer and on the back of her run to the San Jose semifinal. You look for Kasatkina. She's now 31 and uh, 30 and 14, excuse me, overall on the season. 68% win percentage is the best uh, of the 25-year-old's career. Of course, Kasatkina has been in the top 10 of the WTA rankings before it came back in 2018, a season that saw her reach a quarterfinal at a Grand Slam, have all sorts of success on various surfaces at the WTA level. And yet, I think it's unequivocal that the tennis Daria Kasatkina is playing this season is the best tennis of her career. And the numbers indicate as much. It's not just the win percentage. And, you know, I can I can nerd out for all of you quickly because you know I'm going to turn to Tennis Abstract for the hold percentage, the break percentage. All the numbers are above her career averages. She's holding serve 61.6% of the time. Now, that's below the 65% she was at last season. And as I've alluded to on previous podcasts, it really has been a 18-month, now it's been, I should say, an 18-month run for Daria Kasatkina. She has been that consistent across events, across surfaces since the start of the 2021 season. I mean, I mentioned the 30-14 and record this year. She's 68-33 and since the start of 2021. Over the course of 18 months, she's winning two-thirds of her matches. And you all know the 60% rule, really the two-thirds rule, because if you're winning two matches in an event, you're just going to continue to progress levels. If you're winning two matches at the Challengers, now you get the opportunity. You're making some quarterfinals. Your points start to rise. You get to play the Grand Slam qualies. Of course, if you're winning two matches in an event at the 250 level, now you find yourself in the top two, uh, 50 of the rankings. You get the opportunity to get into 500-level events. You start winning two matches at those. You get into the Masters 1000. Obviously, Slam main draw appearances come with all of that as well. She's winning two-thirds of her matches since the start of 2021. That's why she's continued to progress up the rankings. Started the week at number 12 with this run to the semifinals. Actually finds herself at 14th in the live rankings, but again, fifth in the points race this year. And you look for Kasatkina. What was so impressive about her victories so far this week is that she was able to withstand elite power tennis, which in theory should be the thing that disrupts Daria Kasatkina. Because if you don't have a weapon to hurt Kasatkina, she's just going to beat you with how well she moves the ball around the court. Here comes that magical phrase. She spreads the court as well as anyone. The ability to find the outer thirds, whether it's the forehand cross with depth, the forehand cross court short angle, to open up the court, to take the ball early on the rise, take that ball down the line. She can also do all of those same things on the backhand wing. She's comfortable playing both the backhand slice and the forehand slice. She'll mix in the drop shots. She'll move forward. The overhead's not great, but she's willing to hit it. Again, going to make that first volley every time. Just puts you under pressure. Moves extraordinarily well in the outer thirds and then is elite as a returner. On the WTA Tour, you look for Kasatkina. She's currently fourth in break percentage on the season, 43.8%, a number that is now higher after her week in San Jose. Against the elite power of Wimbledon champion Elena Rabakina, against the elite power of number four seed Arena Sabalenka this week, Kasatkina just worked them to the outer thirds of the court. She was able to absorb the first blow of each of those players, do enough in the outer thirds of the court, generate enough depth, move them to another side of the court, depending on where they were, just keep them under pressure. But 
The thing I admire most about Daria Kasatkina, and it's Daniil Medvedev-esque in how she's able to do it, is she's just able to win ugly matches. The match today against Arena Sabalenka was horrifyingly ugly. And it's just a stark reminder, by the way, watching Arena Sabalenka remains, in my opinion, maybe my favorite thing to do as just a fan of the sport because you just never know what you're going to get from Marina Sabalenka. And it was in both of her matches this week in San Jose. I mentioned it uh, in the intro, Sabalenka, early in the week, a three-set victory over Caroline Dalahide, where, you know, you look at the double fault percentage for her, it was gross. And you look for Sabalenka in two matches in San Jose against Dalahide, she double faults 23 times against Kasatkina, she double faulted 20 times. 43 double faults in two matches. 43 double faults in two matches. You look overall right now on the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. Double fault is a number they track. Again, 43 in two matches. That would be more than four top five. That would be more than Clara Tossin's double faulted all season. Naomi Osaka's double faulted all season. Alina Svitolina's double faulted all season. I now see the sample size not exactly the greatest for the lowest at this list. Should have done more filtering. I apologize. But Meyer Sharice played 27 matches this year. She's double faulted 35 times. In two matches, Sabalenka double faulted 43 times. You're not going to win. You're not going to be able to get away with that. And she almost did today. You look at that match, you know, Kasakina races out to a three-love lead in the second set after she drops the opening set uh, 6-4 to Sabalenka. Set Sabalenka served pretty well, was in control of from the start. But look, Sabalenka, as so often happens, runs hot and cold. She goes down three-love in the second. Then she started striking fire and just hit the ball so purely from the outer thirds of the court. Her Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club-esque power allowed her to overwhelm the defensive steals of Kasakina because on a tennis court, the best offense is just going to beat good defense because the best offense is played on the aggressor's terms. And then the double faults crept back in. And then there was a streak of 25 minutes where the longest rally in the match had to be five balls maximum. And just there was no rhythm in the match. And yet in that chaos, in the chaos of the Elena Rabakina plus one barrage that was uh, that first round matchup, Kasakina just finds ways to scrap by, to, you know, again, draw that unforced error, break the rhythm of Sabalenka, whether it's using angles, whether it's using more slice, again, how well she moves the ball around the court. Daria Kasakina can win ugly. Her plan A or her best game may not have the upside of a Rabakina of a Sabalenka, of an Osaka, an Andrescu, but her B+, plus, her C+, plus, as impressive as any player you're going to find on the WTA Tour right now. And I don't think Kasakina has played her best tennis this week. But again, into the semifinals, she goes in San Jose. You look for Kasakina overall here in 2022. Again, 30-14 and 14 overall on the season. While she's yet to make a final, she's into her fifth semifinal in 15 events on the year. I mean, you make the semifinals at a third of your events. You make the quarterfinals at seven of the 15 you've played. You're going to qualify for the year-end finals. Her being top 10 in points this year makes sense. And again, no one gets Wimbledon points. So the fact that she wasn't able to play Wimbledon doesn't hurt her particularly as much as usual. But 
whether it's hard courts where overall on the season she's now 14 and 7, whether it's clay courts where she's 12 and 5, she just finds ways. And you look for her against players ranked outside the top 50, 13 and 4 this year against players ranked outside the top 20, she's 22 and 5. And you look at the non-top 20 players she lost to, Bianca Andreescu, one of them. I think we can write that off. Amanda Nisim over the other. I think we can write that one off. 22 and 3 against players ranked outside the top 20. I mean, come on now. That's extraordinarily impressive. And then even against top 20 foes, she's 8-9 and nine overall on the season. And yeah, she's taken some bad losses. Iga in particular has owned Kasatkina because Kasatkina just does not have the sort of weapon to disrupt the rhythm of Iga at all. It's a particularly terrible matchup for the 25-year-old. That said, world number one Iga Shviantek is a particularly terrible matchup for every player on the WTA Tour. Outside of that, Kasakina is just going to give herself a chance because she's going to put balls in play because she's going to extend rallies. And again, you look for her overall on the season now, seven quarterfinals in 15 events, a fifth semifinal this year, still looking for that first final. Absolutely will have a shot to reach that first final in San Jose. But look, it's going to be a really fun matchup as she's going to take on Paula Bedosa now. Bedosa uh, survived in her first match against qualifier Elizabeth Mandlick, who I did not get the chance to see much of outside of the highlights against Bedosa. Mandlick, the daughter of two former pro tennis players, that's always a good thing, and there are a lot of pieces in the game of Mandlick I enjoyed. I'm going to save that conversation for a different time, but Kasakina Bedosa is a really fun semifinal. Again, Bedosa doesn't have an overwhelming weapon to hurt Kasatkina with. If you're asking me who's in better form right now, I would probably go with Daria Kasatkina. But credit to Paula Bedosa, who found herself down a break very early in the match against Coco Goff and you know, was able and found Coco Goff, I believe, served for the set up 5-4, and Bedosa was able to get the break, and she was able to sneak out the first set in a breaker and then really allowed Goff to defeat herself. Goff I don't have the unforced error number in front of me. There were a plethora of unforced errors from Goff and a plethora of double faults today from Coco Goff as well. Uncharacteristic. You look for Coco Goff here today against Paula Bedosa. Six double faults. A lot of, I think each of them came, you know, particularly at the end of that first set. I think she hit four of them in a two game stretch. I mean, she blinked, and Paula Bedosa made her pay for it. Bedosa, 4 of 8 on breakpoint chances, protected her serve particularly well, and I actually think her early struggles in the match forced her to hit the serve a bit bigger uh, overall moving forward, uh, you know, in that match because she realized, hey, the sitter's just not going to do it. Goff is winding up on that forehand and taking me to town. But you look for Bedosa, 28-13 and 13 overall now into, I believe, what is her third fourth semifinal of the year first since Stuttgart of course she's dealt with some different injuries you know only six quarterfinals for her this season in what you look for her overall six quarterfinals in 14 events it's actually not horrible but you would expect better from the world number four who again has dealt with a bunch of different injuries but now round of 16 in Wimbledon good wins over Mandelik three sets looked even better today against Goff Things pointing in the right direction for the 24-year-old. And, you know, when you look at, again, this new wave of top 10 players, I don't know if they're top 10 players. If When we do the WTA tiers pod equivalent on at some point here at Cracked Rackets, are Bedosa, Kudermetova, 
you know, Bedosa is probably a tier two player. She's got the Indian Wells title, but is Kasakina Kudermatova, I mean, Coco Goff, is she, I think she's tier one, but we'll have that discussion a different time. I mean, all of these players are now just in the mix, and you look at the points race right now. Goff is third in the points race. Now, there's only 500 points separating the third place and 10th place players in the points race right now, which 500 points with what's coming up, Montreal, Cincinnati, and the U.S. Open. Um, Yeah, there's some juice left on the schedule, to say the least. Uh, But Goff is third, Kasakina's fifth, Bedosa's seventh, Kudermatova eighth, you just have this new class of players who are, again, solidifying their spots in the WTA Top 20. And I mentioned the record uh, for Paula Bedosa, 28-13 and 13 overall on the year. Goff now 27-14 and 14 overall on the year, but of course made that French Open final. And you look for Coco Goff. She's also someone who's beaten who she's supposed to beat 16-2 and two against players ranked outside the top 50, 24-6 against players ranked outside the top 20. When you're winning 80% of your matches against players who are ranked lower than you, that is how you sustain sustain your rankings. Of course, the final stat on Kasatkina, when you look for her now overall, and I I know I mentioned she's won 68% of her matches since the start of 2021, but you look for her this season again, and I know I went through these, but against players ranked outside the top 50, 13 and 4, she's 22 and 5 against players ranked outside the top 20. That's an 81% win percentage. And, you know, again, it's just Eight and nine against top 20 opponents, sticking around against the players who are her level as well. And when you're beating them every other time, that's also how you're going to keep your spot, sustain your ranking on the WTA Tour. Of course, the last of that equation is Veronica Kudermetova, who has, as I've referred to before, is perennially a top 10 server, but usually 50th or 49th in break percentage on the WTA Tour. And the numbers this year aren't dissimilar. You look for Kudermetova, who has had a good season on serve. There's no denying that. You look for Kudermetova in terms of her hold percentage overall on the year. Kudermetova currently ranking 10th overall, holding serve 74.6% of the time entering the week. Her serve won her a lot of free points today in a 7-6-6-2 victory over Unjabur. And by the way, for Kudermetova, who's also earned victories this week uh, impressively over Claire Liu in straight sets. Kudermetova first-round win in three sets over Camilla Georgie. That serve just helps her win free points. And in particular, her ability to hit the slice serve out wide on the deuce side, follow that up with the plus one forehand anywhere. It's a legitimate weapon. Now, no one will accuse Veronica Kudermatova of putting topspin on her ground strokes. It's not her ballgame. She's a flat line drive hitter. She goes big. She goes for broke. Even on the return of serve, that's why sometimes breaking serve could be an issue for Kudermatova. But she keeps pace on the serve, and she keeps herself in matches, and Own Jabour was frustrating herself to all hell. Own Jabour did not have much rhythm in today's San Jose matchup, was just unable to put balls away, whether it was plus one forehands, whether it was opportunities when she was able to land the return of serve. Just her plus one tennis was off today. And Kudermatova took advantage of that fact, whether it was peppering returns deep at the feet of Jabour, whether it was, again, just doing enough with her plus one to keep Jabour on the back foot, prevent Jabour from gaining that rhythm. Kudermatova was impressive today. And with her victory, 28-13 and 13 now overall in the year. Again, she's 28-13 and 13 overall on the year. She's made three different finals. Now she's 0-3 in those finals, but... She's into now a fifth semifinal on the year. Now she's gotten two 
withdraws in semifinals this year, Melbourne, Dubai, but can't blame her for that fact. Fifth semifinal for her overall on the year. You know, again, she's now made eight different quarterfinals as well. She's played thirteen total, uh, 14 total events. Eight quarterfinals in 14 events, four, uh, five semifinals in 14 events. That is how you find yourself at a new career high in the rankings. And she was 18 earlier in July, currently sitting at 19 entering the week, but back up to number 18 in the live rankings with her run in San Jose. Again, she's eighth in the points race. Eighth. Veronica Kudermetova might freaking find herself in the year-end finals. A crazy thing. To say out loud, if you've listened to my conversations with David Kane about her, because of how limited she can be at times, she's the opposite, the inverse of Kasatkina, whereas it's one speed all the time. She's going, 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 but with the confidence she's gained this season, again, she's just been a tough out. You look for Kudermetova against players ranked outside the top 50. She's also 15-2, and 22-7, winning 76% of her matches against opponents ranked outside the top 20. Now, she's 6-6 six and six against top 20 opponents as well. A couple of win- uh, a couple of wins, excuse me, over Bedosa, Bencic, Sabalenka, now Shabur as well. How can you not credit the 25-year-old who is playing the best tennis of her career? And look, even the break percentage, 28.2%. It's not great. It's the best it's been in three years. And with how her serve has progressed, that's going to keep her in the ball game now, even against the best players in the world. And so Kudermatova, into the semifinals where she awaits the winner of Shelby Rogers and Amanda Nisimova, who play later on Friday. Of course, some of the other storylines just quickly to go through. How about Shelby Rogers? Impressive run for the big hitting American. Four and two over Bianca Andreescu. One in three over Maria Sakari. Let's not forget it was just last season when Shelby Rogers was able to knock out Ashley Barty at the 2021 U.S. Open as she also reached the quarterfinals of Indian Wells last year, fourth-round Australian Open last year. Of course, her run, uh, of course, this season, things have been a little bit trickier for her, 14 and 15 overall on the year, but she's into the quarterfinals. Her third quarterfinal of the year, second quarterfinal in the last two months. Rogers heats up. Again, when that big serve is landing, Shelby Rogers is just in the ballgame. And you look for Shelby Rogers, who's currently sitting at 45 in the rankings. She's holding 70.7% of the time. That's a top 15 number on the WTA Tour. And you look overall right now, the average hold percentage of uh, is 70.7, excuse me, overall on the WTA Tour. Uh, Shelby Rogers, oh, I was incorrect. She's not a top 15 number, but it is a top 25 number for Shelby Rogers. And I think we know when she she's serving her best, that number will exceed 70.7. That number can get up to the 72, 75% range. That's the sort of weapon she has for a first serve. And when you look at first serve win percentage, by the way, Shelby Rogers even higher on the ranking, that first serve win percentage for her, uh, all the way up to 14th on the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. So Shelby served well. And when she serves well, everything else follows uh, suit. She's just able to be that much more aggressive as a returner. And, you know, again, beats an Andrescu 4-2 and Andrescu after the match, indicating she had to get her back checked out more than anything. God, after finally three healthy months from Bianca Andrescu with the U.S. Open, an event she's obviously won, in the past coming up, you just want to see Andrescu healthy for a full season more than anything else. Shelby also knocked out Maria Sakari 1-3. Sakari 
did not play well. And you look for Maria Sakari, the first serve percentage struggles continue. She's been under 60% in all but two of the matches she's played since Rome. So she's played, what, 5 plus 7 is 12 plus another 5 is 17. And she's been under 60% first serve percentage in 15 of her last 17 matches. She's been under 55% first serve percentage in 14 of her last 17 matches. That's just not going to cut it. And even with her continued success, her first serve has gotten better, as we've alluded to, each of the past now seven seasons. But she just isn't landing the first serve right now. She's lost the rhythm. And, you know, again, the double faults have manifested itself, whether it was against Tatiana Maria, whether it was early in the match against Shelby Rogers. She just something is off on the serve. And it's always been something the world number three has tinkered with. But. Look, she's been fine. You look for Sakari in 2022. She's 27-15 overall. Similar win totals to the Goffs, Bedosas, Kasatkinas, Kudermetovas we've mentioned earlier. She's 14-4 and 22-10 and against players ranked outside the top 50, top 20 respectfully, which is, respectively, which is fine, but not what you'd expect out of a world number three. And again, I think fine would be the word to describe Maria Sakari's season to date. And then just some final notes to go through quickly here as we look at the San Jose draw. Amanda Nisimova, she is a top 10 player this year, and I will stand by that take. I think, though she's 0-2 against Shelby Rogers, I think she's going to beat Shelby tonight. You look for Nisimova, who's currently 21 in the live rankings, 15th in the points race, but with a win tonight, goes all the way up to 13th in the points race and will find herself up to number 21 in the live rankings, which would match her career high. I mean, I've, I've said this before. Look at the ELO ratings, the advanced metrics via our friends at Tennis Abstract. I mean, Nisimova, number nine in overall ELO. She's number five in 2022 specific ELO. You look for Nisimova now overall here in the 2022 season. I mean, exceptional, 31 and 11 overall on the year, and she's clocking the players who can't handle her power. 17-1 against players outside the top 50. 23-4 against players outside the top 20, but of course those weapons can throw off top 20 players as she's 8-7 against them. A three-set come-from-behind victory against Karolina Pliskova where she was just able to find her rhythm halfway through that second set and flip the script. And look, I mean, again, Anisimova's got to be on your short list of people who can freaking win the U.S. Open. Certainly a top 10 contender will have the conversation for top five as we get closer. We'll see how she performs after San Jose in Canada, in Cincinnati. But Anisimova, and even if she loses early in one of those events, particularly let's say she loses early in Canada after her run here in San Jose, her power, she's, again— has weekend privileges at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. We anticipate having to invite uh, the 21-year-old American to the club, a uh, 20-year-old American, excuse me, to the club at some point. Breaking uh, holding serve 73.2% of the time, breaking serve 36.6. Uh, just an elite server, and again, able to play from out in front and on her terms, which is the thing you desire most as a professional tennis player. Nisimova into the quarterfinals against Shelby Rogers. The other quick things, I thought Naomi Osaka looked fine. Not great. Certainly not the best against Coco Goff yesterday, 4-4, four and four, but I thought she served pretty well. You look for Osaka in terms of the percentages, and again, she hadn't played a match since the French Open. Osaka only made 55% of her first serves against Coco Goff, 53% against Jung Chin Wen, but when that first serve lands, 
The plus 110 is still looks like Naomi freaking Osaka. And while the footwork was definitely off, some of the return, you know, misfire. I don't have the returns in play percentage, but I imagine these past two matches, she put fewer returns in play than certainly her career averages, but even her average early in the season. That said, the serve is the moneymaker. The serve defines the ceiling for Naomi Osaka in every event she plays, and I don't think she served her best, and yet she still was able to beat the big-hitting Jung Chin Wen and, you know, force Coco Goff to need eight match points, was it, yesterday, before she was able to close her out. That's the sort of competitor Naomi Osaka is. More, Most importantly, she just sounds so at peace in her press conferences as well, and an at-peace and informed Naomi Osaka is a four-time Grand Slam champion. So be on the lookout for her as she's going to have opportunities, certainly Canada, Cincinnati, to regain her rhythm and then come the U.S. Open, she's going to be unseated. I don't want to see her early in the event. If I'm a player, I imagine everyone, her and Dreski are the two most dangerous players who are going to be floating unseated in that U.S. Open draw. Uh, outside of that, you know, again, shout-out Claire Liu. Good win over Beatrice Hadan Maya in round one. Yes, Rivakina loses round one, but three sets to Kasakina, who's, again, fifth in the points race, is far from qualifying as a bad loss. I actually am keeping my eyes on both Pliskova and Keys, who I thought served pretty well this week. And again, if they're serving well, everything else usually follows. And then, of course, shout out to Taylor Townsend, who continues to put up Ws as she makes her return to the tour. But with that said, that's where everything stands in San Jose. Percentages via our friends at Tennis Abstract right now. Again, still one quarterfinal to go, but... Bedosa, 64.2% favorite over Kasatkina. Uh, I imagine either Anisimova or Kuder Matova. Well, Anisimova will certainly be a favorite over Kuder Matova. We went through the ELO ratings earlier. Rogers will not be. And right now, Bedosa, 42.2% chance of winning the event. That feels a little high, if I'm being honest. With that said, let's get into the funkiness. That is the 2022 City Open. Again, great to see the women's event return to Washington, D.C. Events are just better when you've got a plethora of action, both on the men's and women's side, happening. Um, And certainly, it's been happening at this 2022 City Open. Things continuing to get funky. The player who has made the most sense of the funk is Victoria Azarenka, who, again, statistically, results-wise, we've talked about this before, when she's been on court, She's been fine this year, 16-8 and eight overall on the year, and you look for her, how many of the matches have ended in retirement or injury? She's forced to withdraw against Madison Brangle in Doha, forced to withdraw against Fruvertova in Miami. You know, we didn't see her play Wimbledon, unfortunately, due to injury as well, and just... You know, again, the losses, Sviantek twice, no shame in that, Rabakina, Anisimova, Kudermatova, who we've just been making the case for as top 10 players. No shame in any of the losses. Early season loss, Krachikova round of 16 at the Australian Open. That was still in form, Barbara Krachikova. No shame in that loss either. 7-6 in the third to Teichman at Roland Garros, I don't think is a bad loss as well. And I wish I had David Kane here to play this game with right now. But Vika's been fine throughout the course of this season. You look at the numbers. She's holding 68.4% of the time, which is below her career average, but by 0.2%. It would be lower than that if we had the stats for 2012, 2011, which sadly Tennis Abstract does not have the hold percentage for, but she's been fine. Break percentage, 40.7%, which is below her career average, but above the 37.7% average on the WTA Tour. 
like I, I, I mean, it's very power tennis, you know, again, uh, it, but it's not Serena Williams power tennis country club because it's not that relentless. Is it that relentless? I'm going to have to ask Jeff and David if she should be a member of Serena Williams power tennis country club. I'm not opposed to including her in the club. It's just it's not the same sort of relentless go for broke on everything power. She opens up the court a little bit better, is a little bit more patient before she asserts herself down the line. Um that said, again, Azarenka has been striking the ball so well this week. 4-0 over Yastremska, 6-2 over Martin Sova. She just has the confidence. And again, it's not that long ago that she competed in a U.S. Open Finals. She's not intimidated by any of the matchups. It's just a matter of will her body cooperate. And right now in D.C., it certainly is. So credit to Vika, who, according to Tennis Abstract, a massive favorite to capture the title, 51.9% heading into the quarterfinals. She's got Xiu Wang, and I believe they're playing that match on Friday night as soon as play begins at the City Open, if play begins tonight. I know, again, that weather is brutal, but I believe they are scheduled uh, to play tonight, so we'll keep an eye on that matchup if it does go down. I would imagine Azarenka uh, will ultimately, well, you know, Xiu Wang, Credit to Shi Yu Wang, and we've talked about Zhang Chin Wen, we've come up about Wang Shin Yu, but Wang Shi Yu has been pretty rock solid this season. And the difference between her, Wang Shin Yu, of course, she is the righty of the two young Chinese women who, of course, are separated by one letter in name, which you always love. Um, 33-19 overall this season. And you look for her overall making the quarterfinals here uh, at, at the WTA level event in uh, in Washington, D.C. It's her second quarterfinal of the season. Made one a month ago in Budapest. Does it on clay in Budapest. Now it does it on the hard courts here in D.C. You look for her overall now in her career. Uh, again, just her fourth career quarterfinal. And you look for Wang Shiyu, who reached a career-high 92 a couple of weeks ago on the back of that Budapest quarterfinal. Now in the live rankings, uh, takes another jump. And she's going to go all the way to number uh, 83 in the live rankings. And by the way, Wang Xinyu, the 20-year-old Chinese woman, currently 80 in the live rankings. Wang Xiyu, 21 years old, currently 83 in the live rankings. Again, Zheng Chen Wen making a push as well. It's there, there's Again, it's a fun group uh, of Chinese tennis players, certainly on the rise. And you look for Wang Xiyu overall on the year again. 33 and 19. You look for her now against top 100 players this season, finally finding some way to success. And, you know, again, finding that ability to play these tour level events, earn herself chances to get bigger points. I love the way she moves the ball around the court, has a little bit more pop, though, uh, than your typical court spreader. I suppose. And, you know, Wang Shiyu's had a really good week in D.C. Again, wins over Kami Osorio. Uh, uh, Kami Osorio, that's incorrect. Excuse me. But you look for Wang Shiyu this week. Uh, over, she's got an impressive victory uh, for her already this week over uh, Donna Vakic in three sets. And, you know, she was down match point, I believe, in that three set or maybe down a set. In a, oh, I don't think it was match point. I think she was down a set and a break to Donna Vakic before ultimately being able to flip the script and pull away again 6-1 in that third set. I mean, look, career-high ranking. She's going to get to play WTA Tour-level events now the rest of the season, which she's been doing primarily. But she's played, you know, Valencia 125 and Bonita Springs 100K, Charleston 100K, Palm Harbor 100K. She's 
you know, those 100, 125 Ks, the equivalent of ATP challengers. She's not been afraid to go play the challengers to build up her ranking. And now 21 years old, she's built herself into a top 100 player, should get into the Australian Open as she doesn't have a ton of points to defend from the end of last season, just a 25K final relief the rest of the way. I guess an 80K semifinal in October as well, but She's going to get to play U.S. Open main draw. She's going to have tons of opportunities opening up for her here in the hard court summer and down the home stretch of the season, which, again, at 21 years old, is all you can ask for. Impressive run this week for Wang Xiu. Tennis abstract, 89.2% favor uh, towards Vika, but... I mean, I'm not going to say upset alert. I just really like the lefties game. So I think that's going to be a fun match to watch. Of course, if we get to watch the other matchups, I know Kaya Kanepi advanced over Anna Kalinskaya earlier today. You look uh, for Kanepi by making uh, the semifinals here in D.C. Overall on this season, I believe, yeah, it's just her second semifinal of the year. The only other one coming at the Paris 125K back in May. You look for Kanepi this season, 23-11, and 11, though, overall on the year. Just, you know, you look for her. The only first-round loss she suffered was uh, two. Three-set loss to Carolina Pliskova in Berlin. Straight set loss to Diane Perry, former world junior number one at Wimbledon. Two first-round losses for Kanepi. Everywhere else, she's just earning victories and, you know, again, allowing her to sustain that 37 in the world ranking, which at 37 years old, when your ranking is the same or lower than your age, things are going well for you on the Pro Tour. In fact, that, I'm gonna, that's an Alex Gruskin saying moving forward. When your ranking's younger than your age, things are going well for you. I think we all agree with that. There are no 50-year-olds right now on the ATP Tour, or at least in the top 100 of the ATP Tour, let alone the top 50. And so, you know, for most of these players, 26 years old, if you're under 26 in the rankings, things are going well for you. For Kanepi, 37 years old, 37 in the rankings, things going well for her, of course. Uh, again, with the schedule being as it is, not exactly sure when these matches are going to be played, but I'm very much looking forward to Ludmilla Samsonova taking on Emma Raducanu. It's two players who are actually under 500 on the year, yet two players I think obviously possess tons of promise. You look for Raducanu, who by reaching the quarterfinal here, second quarterfinal of the year, still 11-12 and 12 overall on the season, but Boy, did she fight her tail off in a 6-6 six and six victory over Kami Osorio, a match that took 2 hours 50 minutes and just was an absolute grind. I would venture to say 13 and a half shots was the average rally length in each and every point these two played and just both of them locked in. Again, it was it was really competitive yet very friendly. You know, not friendly is the wrong word. Competitive but a clean match. Radakanu moved the ball particularly well, though again, she struggles on that serve. It's so slice-based and once Osorio got a read for it, she began returning particularly well. I mean, that said, Radakanu 9 of 13 in facing break points in the matches. She's able to convert four of the 12 break points she has. Again, this was a pick 'em sort of match. This one could have been a ground stroke game, just two hours, 50 minutes of it. And Radakanu could manufacture a little bit more pace on that forehand wing. Her backhand down the line played equal to Kami Osorio's. And if you watch any of the young Colombian player, another former world junior number one, you know her backhand down the line can be special when she's connecting. But for them to play that match in the 90-degree heat, just a testament to the physicality of the modern-day game. And look, this is a big confidence boost for Radakanu. Obviously, she's got 
the granddaddy of them all. The U.S. Open title points to defend coming up in a couple of weeks. But quarterfinals in D.C., good way to get her started as we look towards Canada, Cincinnati, where it's free points for her still. She didn't play either of those events last season. So, you know, one, two wins at those 1,000-level events, you know, you can withstand not re-winning the U.S. Open and still find herself in the top 50. But look, again, only her second quarterfinal on the season. She's going to have to perform over the rest of the month if she wants to stay top 50, still play whatever tournament she wants throughout the course of the season. That said, Radakanu facing pressure this week in D.C. She's delivered. How much does she have left in the tank against Ludmilla Samsonova? It's a great question, though. How much does Samsonova have left after, you know, consecutive two-hour wins for her over Mertens and Tom Janovich? You look for Samsonova, who can, again, she, not weekend privileges, but she can golf at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. That's how big she hits the ball from the baseline, and that go for broke mentality can be an issue for her but this week she's connecting with the ball well and again 12 and 14 overall in the year but probably her two best wins of the year in victories over Mertens and Tom Janovich this week in fact looking at it I, I assure you they are her two best wins of the season and look even against Tom, even down a set and a break as well she just kept swinging and she found her rhythm in that second set. And the longer the match persisted, the more difficult it was to play defense against her because of how difficult those conditions were in D.C. Uh, I was really impressed by Samsonova, which is not something you've been able to say really since Stuttgart when you know she was able to play Sviantec two, three sets. You know, it's definitely the best tournament she's run she's had since then. Has had some tough draws, no doubt about it, but starting to regain that form we saw from her. And obviously these hot conditions just dealing with the pace of her ball going to be miserable for any opponent. So impressive performance from Samsonova to advance uh, to the quarterfinals, just her third quarterfinal of the year and first since Stuttgart in April. Uh, of course, you look at the rest of the City Open draw. Daria Seville, probably your player of the week as she gets a 7-6 in the third win over Miriam Bork- Bjorklund, follows that up with a 5-4 and four win over top seed Jessica Pagula. Daria Seville's been exceptional this year. You look for her 21-15 and 15 overall, but round of 16 in Indian Wells from qualifying third round Roland Garros quarterfinals Washington, D.C. She's looking much more like the top 20 player she was uh, prior to all the injuries she sustained over the past few years. Of course, Daria Seville used to be Daria Gavrilova. For those of you unaware that she married Luke Seville, the Australian men's tennis player, not that long ago. I like to say in the past year and a half, but just a consistent year of growth for her after, again, she's only able to play five singles matches last season and just 21 and 15 has been steady from the start. Fantastic was hyperbole, but she hasn't been fantastic this year. She's been steady though since the start of the year. And again, given all the injuries she sustained, she'll take it. Of course, now very winnable quarterfinal match for her against qualifier Rebecca Marino and credit to Marino wins over uh, two wins in qualifying and then three set wins over Williams and Petkovic. Now, how much does she have left in the tank going into that quarterfinal against Daria Seville? That is an excellent question to ask. Certainly one to keep an eye on, but you look for Rebecca Marino, who uh, just played a lot of qualifying this year. It's her first quarterfinal at the tour level this season, and you look for her in her career at the tour level for Rebecca Marino overall now on the year. It's just her fifth 
of her career, first since 2018, second of her career outside of Canada. All of them have come on hard courts. You look for Marina with her run this week. She started the week at number 111, currently number 96. Welcome back to the top 100 for the 31-year-old Canadian. With that said, that's where things stand in D.C. I do brief thoughts on what's going on in Romania against 125K, but Maya Chwavalinska, I butchered her last name there. I apologize. The 20-year-old uh, young Polish player has been sensational this year, and a lot of it's come at the ITF level. But guess what? When you're dominating the ITFs like Clara Tossin was doing 18 months ago, like, you know, again, some of these players do, Carlos Alcaraz and Hogaruna, et cetera, et cetera, before making these dramatic – Sebi Baez, another good name uh, out there. You know, you look for Chavalinska, who, again, I'm going to get that last name right, I promise, 39-12 and 12 overall in the year. She's winning 76% of her matches. She played Petra Martic really close last week in Warsaw uh, before losing in the round of 16. She bounces back by making the semifinals of the 125K and good wins over Danilovic, over Masarova. Now, again, it hasn't been the toughest strength of schedule for her, but you look at her last three of her last four events. She qualifies, wins a match at Wimbledon, beating Sinyakova, wins a match in Warsaw, now into the semifinals in Iasi. One more win, she's into the top 150 for the first time in her career. It reminds me a lot of Andrusova, how well the lefty moves around the court, how comfortable she is on the slide, the drop shot she's willing to play on that backhand wing, the whippiness of her forehand. She's not the biggest in the world. I don't even think she has the pop of Andrusova, who would not be confused for a member of Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club, but just keep your eyes on her. Again, extraordinarily talented and certainly a big opportunity for her this week. As you look at the players remaining, she's actually a 51.2% favorite over number two. Two-seed Pana Udvardi, your favorite for the event. Third-seed Anna Bogdan, uh, who uh, 84.1% favorite in her semifinal match, 56.5% favorite to win the title. But with that said, that's where things stand. Heading into another championship weekend on the WTA Tour. Now, as promised, I do want to do weekend podcasts. We've got five different events. We've got a 1,000-level event happening next week. It'll just help us on the schedule if we keep things organized. And, again, it's my apology, as I mentioned in part one, for the sporadic scheduling of this mini-break podcast of late. So expect Saturday show. Expect a Sunday show. Hopefully, I can wrangle a guest to join me as well. As again, it is shaping up to be another fantastic weekend uh, in the professional tennis world. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job to do. And day in, day out, he does the best job I can think of. And you know, makes it possible. He tolerates if I say, here's a weekend podcast. Do you mind editing it? He goes, oh, no problem. Got to give the people what they want. So shout out to my man Westoff. Shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well for their continued support. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.